0: About a couple of scientists that, that really intrigue me because of their unconventional methods of study. The two that I'm thinking of both happen to be women. Uh, the first one is a woman by the name of Jane Goodall. Uh, you may remember her. She did a, an unprecedented 45 year study on the chimpanzee, right? That's all she studied. Really fascinating if, you've, uh, if you're familiar with her work. The other one was a lady by the name of Diane Fossey. Uh, she did something very similar. If you uh, saw or heard of a movie that Sigourney Weaver was in called Gorillas in the Mist, right? that movie was actually about the life of Diane Fossey and her exclusive study of uh, gorillas in the wild. What made these two scientists unique and kind of unconventional in their studies is instead of taking those animals and bringing them into the lab to observe their behavior they made the decision to go live among those animals and study them in their own environment in the wild. These women became so uh, acquainted with their subjects that instead of giving them numbers like you normally do in science, you know, subject number one, subject number two, they actually named the animals like Fifi and David Greybeard. They all had names based upon their, their personalities that they Learned as they spent that time in the wild. And because of that extended time, they were able to make observations of these animals that simply would not have been possible in a laboratory. For example, one of the things that uh, Jane Goodall observed about the chimpanzee was she would watch them go up into a tree and take a branch, come back down and strip off all the leaves from that branch so it's just a bare stick. Then they would go over to an anthill take that stick and put it inside of a hole of an anthill, let it sit there for a little bit, pull it out. It was full of ants and they just licked them off like a popsicle, right? It just had a little ant popsicle. And and things like that weren't possible inside the lab. You had to see that in the wild when they were doing what they do naturally. Uh, Diane Fossey would uh, actually learn to mimic some of the gestures of gorillas that they would use to communicate to each other and they would accept those gestures like they would their own. What's interesting about Diane Fossey is that she originally was an occupational therapist. And she said that one of the things that she learned was in her dealing with severely autistic children who could not communicate verbally, so she learned to communicate through gestures. And she took that same thing and applied it to her studies in the wild. These two women had an exclusive interest in the subjects they studied and went to, to great lengths to be personally involved in those studies and the quality of their research because of these characteristics led them to a depth of knowledge that simply was not possible otherwise here's another interesting fact about both of these women that they moved from becoming a renowned scientist in their field of study to activist to the point that they protected the animal's that they studied Diane Fossey actually giving up her life for the protection of those animals. These women were undoubtedly committed to the work that they had invested their life into. I want you to take that example and I want to apply those principles to our spiritual lives. And let me ask you this question. What if knowing God became your greatest passion? What if the life of Christ was your exclusive interest? Would it impact your understanding of who God is? And and would that understanding lead you to a depth of devotion like maybe you saw in these two women? Paul seems to have had this conviction because he told the Corinthians when he wrote to them, he says, for I have determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ Christ. And Him crucified. That was his exclusive interest. And we know from the life of Paul that this wasn't just some academic study where he was collecting data on his subject. This was a knowledge based on experience. Where he learned what was true by living in the truth. It was a journey of faith where his fellowship with God was the means by which he came to know God. And that knowledge of God shaped every relationship that Paul had from that point on. He learned how to love others based on the experience of his love from God. A love of such significance as we know the Apostle Paul, too, gave his life for the one he loved. Has God's love impacted you in that same way? In our passage this morning, John is going to lead us to an understanding of how that evidence of Christ's love is another means by which we have the assurance of His salvation. And we're going to unpack that together in our passage. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come to you this morning. I pray that we are able to see the truth of your Scripture. I have been made aware uh, most clearly this week, reminded that uh, we can bring awareness to truths, but only your Spirit brings conviction. So I pray that your Spirit is at work today in each of our hearts, convicting us of the things that are good and right and true, and that we see how your love transforms our life. It is the basis of our salvation and the very calling of what we are called to be and do among one another in your name. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. We'll pick up where we left off last in in verse 7. But before we do that, I want to remind you again the basis of which John is writing this letter uh, to his reader. And he tells them very clearly, he is writing to to give them uh, a knowledge of eternal life. I'm writing so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's his primary emphasis and goal of having written this letter. We know that the the false teachers have created all kinds of uh, confusion among this body. And so John is writing to bring clarity to what it means to have a relationship With Jesus Christ. I believe that uh, one of the things he's doing. Is connecting that point that he made last week. When he talks about testing the spirits. To now seeing the evidence of the fruit of the spirit. Which begins with what? Fruit of the spirit is love. Look at verse 7 with me. Beloved. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. For God is love. That's a profound statement. I want us to start there. Because I believe the basis of understanding what love is all about must begin and end with God. For God is love. In fact, any effort to comprehend love by what we see being demonstrated between people is flawed. It's flawed deeply in comparison to what is true and pure in God Himself. It's like trying to to understand the power of the sun by studying a light bulb. You're just not going to get there because the two things are so, so altogether different than one another. We need to begin by studying the heart of God. And to do this, I want us to look at a statement that Jesus made in His prayer back in John chapter 17. So keep your place in 1 John and go back to His Gospel. John chapter 17. You'll remember the setting of this as Jesus prepares for His crucifixion that is just around the corner. This is His prayer that He prays um, before that significant event. Look at what he says in verse 24. John chapter 17, verse 24. It says, Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, be with Me where I am, in order that they may behold My glory, which You have given Me. For You loved Me before the foundation of the world. For You loved Me. Me, Jesus says, before the foundation of the world. I want you to think about that. Because what it's saying is that before anything else existed, God the Father was loving God the Son. Now, when you consider that, I want you to think about what that tells us about the love of God. Because what we should see is that God did not need to create anything outside of himself to experience love. Ever thought about that? God did not need to create anything outside of himself to experience love. Because it existed in its perfection within the fellowship of the Trinity. From all eternity, the love of God has been full and complete within. Himself. A self-sacrificing, life-giving love. God is love. Because if He did not love, He would not be God. Now with that in mind, let's go back to our passage in verse 7, where John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. John is saying that our understanding of God's love must come from our fellowship with Him. We know love only because of knowing God from whom love finds its source. It's kind of like being in the desert and being without water, and the only hope that you have is if you find a spring, the source of water. You can't manufacture it on your own, you're hopeless. Until you find that spring. But when you do, you drink to your heart's content. Pure, satisfying water. You see, God is the spring from which all love flows. And when you find God, you find the fountain of love. That's why Paul writes to the Romans and he says, For the love of God has been poured out within our hearts the Spirit who was given to us. It's the same idea when he writes to the Ephesians. I want you to turn to this one. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul writing here to the Ephesians says, in verse 17 of chapter 3, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You see that the fullness of God comes through the experience of Christ's love. A pure, self-sacrificing, life-giving love. Now, you might think that that love exists apart from Christ because we can look around us and say, look, there are some really loving people who I know don't know Christ. They're not Christians, right? And I think that's true. But any water that does not come from the spring is not pure. If we were out hiking, again, using that same idea, we might see pockets of water here and there. And it is, in fact, water. But when that water is disconnected from its source and it sits there by itself, over time it becomes diseased and stagnant. And so it is with love. Any love that is disconnected from its source of love, which must be God, becomes stagnant and diseased with time. God must be the one from whom we Learn love because God is love. He is the source of pure love. And John goes on to say in verse 8: the one who does not know God, excuse me, for the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you do not know God, you do not know love in its pure and undefiled form. A hey, self-sacrificing, life-giving love. We know love only by knowing God from whom all love finds its source. And this is a love that that was revealed to us in its purest form when God sent His Son into the world. Look at what He says in verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only Son begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. See, God's love was revealed to the world when He sent His Son to give us life. If you want to know what God's love looks like, then look at the life of Christ. Jesus is the one who personifies that self-sacrificing, life-giving love of God. But I want you to notice in verse 9, if you'll look at that again, how John says that that love of God was manifested in us. And I struggled with this because I thought he had bad grammar. And I not understand because if I were to write this, I would say this is how God's love was manifested to us. So that we could see what it looks like. But that's not what John said. And I believe the reason is clear. Is that we can't comprehend God's love by simply observing it. Like we might a a picture where we would stand back and appreciate the beauty of that artist's work and really know what that was all about. In our home, we have this uh, picture that Thomas Kincaid painted. It's a beautiful mountain scene. Uh, it have this mountain in the background and this stream coming down the mountain it flows into this beautiful, just crystal clear lake. There's a cabin that's kind of tucked away in the woods and it, it, there's even a little bit of smoke coming out of the fireplace and a, and a canoe pulled up on the shore. <laughs> I love that picture. But you know what I would love even more? Being there. Right? Wouldn't you? Being there. Not just observing the beauty, but actually experiencing the beauty. That's John's point. We can only know God's love by experiencing God's love. But the challenge here is the fact that, that sin prevents us from experiencing That love. Sin is what separates us from that relationship with God so that it makes us an observer. We can only see what it looks like, but we cannot experience it. We might admire the beauty of Christ's sacrifice, but we will never, ever know the depths of God's love until we enter into the experience of that love through a relationship with Christ. And that's the obstacle that we cannot overcome on our own look again at verse 10 says in this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us remember sin separates us from that relationship with god it's a barrier that that forces us to observe all things about god from a distance and if love can only be understood by a relationship that sin now prevents, then we are hopeless. And that's why the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. It's what separates us from the experience of God's love. The Scripture goes on to say, but God, and listen to this, because of His great love with which He loved us. His love is the basis of our salvation in that even while we were yet dead in our trespasses and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. Look again at verse 10. In this is love, not that we, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the, the propitiation, the atonement for our sins. Because of His love. God has sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. His love removed that barrier of sin and invites us into a relationship with Him. We didn't love God. He he didn't respond to our love. His love was spontaneous. It was free. It was uncaused. His love was a gift and an invitation to know that love by by putting our exclusive trust in Him alone. Being alive in Christ is what awakens us to the love of God. Where we know God's love because we experience God's love when we've been made alive In Christ Jesus. All this forms the basis. It has to be the understanding, the foundation to really appreciate what John says next. Look at verse 11. It says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us see love originates in God it is revealed in Christ and then it is made alive in us when we walk in fellowship with him through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit here's the key that I want you to understand the love of God is what transforms us to become a loving people The love of God is what transforms us to become a loving people. John will go on to say later on in this letter, we love only because He first loved us. It's His love that transforms us into a loving people. We see this principle played out in our own families, right? We grow up seeing our parents demonstrate love to one another and very often we then mirror that kind of love, right? I remember growing up as a kid, I would see my mom fix my dad breakfast most every single morning. Then I got married and I was like, show me the love, you know? I want some bread. I thought that's what it was, right? But it's true, we see things that we then just make this connection with. Sometimes our parents, when we grew up, bought us things, right? And so when we want to express love to somebody, what, we, what do we do? We go and buy them something. Sometimes that love is expressed by um, standing with somebody during a difficult time. We, we see that demonstrated, so then we learn from that example and we go do the same. Sadly, we see this even on the extreme of the other side, where people grow up in dysfunctional, even... Abusive homes. And that's how they perceive love. And so what happens? They turn around and do the same to their own children. The point is, we learn to give love based on how we receive love. And so when we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it transforms the way we love. We experience God's love as it, as it teaches us what it means to love one another. In fact, knowing this love actually transforms our love to become like His. A self-sacrificing, life-giving love. Let me give you an example of how that works. Turn a few pages over to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. I want you to begin reading with me in verse 2. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, and now listen to this, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. I don't know about you, but that that knocks my socks off. Partakers of the divine nature. I believe, like John, what Peter is telling us here, is that walking in fellowship with God is what transforms us to become more like Christ. Where the experience of His love transforms our love to be more like His love. We become partakers of the divine nature when His love is made evident in our life. That's the point, as John says, go back to verse 12 in our passage. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. I want you to notice here that John does not suggest that our love is made evident by our profession. Where people will know that we love God because we say we love God. No, actually what John says is that our love is not made evident by our profession but by our expression of how we love one another. It's the evidence of Christ's love that validates the presence of Christ's life. Do you hear that? It's the evidence of Christ's self-sacrificing, life-giving love that validates the presence of Christ's life. John says that we actually love reveal the attributes of God, that divine nature, when we demonstrate that love to one another. Even though no one has seen God at any time, they can catch a glimpse of what He's all about when we see that love, self-sacrificing, life-giving love between one another. That love demonstrates the divine nature of God. And it is that love that transforms us to be more like Him. That's the the central message of that passage that we've looked at. And and there really is a a central question that comes out of that message, and it's this. How is your walk with Christ? How is your walk with Christ? What is your experience of God's love like? Because how you answer that question will influence every single relationship in your life. You will love your kids based on the love that you've learned from your walk with Christ. You will love your spouse based on the love that you've learned from your walk with Christ. You will love your enemy based on the love that you've learned from your walk with Christ. and That love is either self-sacrificing, life-giving love, or it's a man-made version that only imitates what that love looks like. And and that's an important point. I I want us to see here in our passage that John is not calling us to observe God's love and then go mimic it. Go try to imitate what it looks like. When I was in college, I had a roommate that used to get mad at me because when we would cook out on the grill he would tell me i wasn't using real cheese and i'm like i don't understand what's the big deal i go get some cheap slices and it looks like cheese to me and so one day he took me out to the grill and says i want you to watch what happens this was greg storm by the way and he he says take this cheese he threw it on the grill and he says watch what happens and to my amazement i watched a fire retardant piece of cheese do nothing but shrivel up into a little plastic square And Greg looked at me and he says, I know that looks like cheese, but that ain't cheese. (laughs) See, God is not calling us to observe His love in order to imitate it in our life. You see, we don't need a relationship with God to do that. We can do it from a distance. I believe what God is calling us to do is to give evidence of the real thing. See, we might produce an imitation that looks like love, but when it's put to the test, it will reveal that it is hardened by the presence of sin. And it may look like love, but it ain't love. Instead, God God is calling us to be united with Him so that He actually transforms our imitation into the real thing that actually comes from the source of all love. That's why John says His love is perfected in us. You get that, right? It's His love that is perfected in us. Where that process of perfection removes the impurities of our selfishness and sin. So that when it's given evidence of the pure thing, it demonstrates that self-sacrificing, life-giving love. I want you to hear me on this. Marriages don't fail because people, two people don't love each other. Okay, listen. Marriages don't fail because two people don't love each other. Marriages fail because two people don't love each other with the love of Christ. The families aren't dysfunctional. Friendships aren't broken because of the absence of love. They fail because of the absence of Christ's love. And so maybe the best way to to take the truths of this passage is to, to reverse them and to look at our relationships and see what they tell us about our relationship with God. So if your marriage is on the rocks or your family's struggling or your friendships are not doing as well as you would hope that they would, let me encourage you not to go and try to fix them. I know that sounds interesting, a little bit counterintuitive, but I do not believe that's where we need to start based on what our passage teaches us this morning. In fact, I think very often our efforts to go and try to fix relationships actually makes things worse before it makes it better. So instead of taking things into your own hands, let me encourage you, to put them in God's hands. Put your focus and your attention on your relationship with God because only when that's right will you see any change in your relationship with one another. Until your love is transformed by God's love, you don't have anything to offer and it will not last at least not the way God designed it to be. You see, when we do this on our own, we're just basically handing them a cup of stagnant water. And Jesus says, let me give you the real thing, and then you go give that to them. Give to others. Out of the riches of what you've received from Christ. Restore your relationship with Him. And then let His love redeem your relationship with others. You see that? Let me just encourage you this week to to make knowing God your greatest passion. Pursuing your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your most exclusive and important focus. And let's see if this is true and how it might transform the way we relate to one another. Not with our love, but a love that is transformed to be His love. Self-sacrificing, life-giving love. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be that people. And uh, boy, and I think maybe just because... uh, we grow up in a, a culture, a society that uh, tells us that, and I think maybe West Texas, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just go make things better. And God, I think uh, in doing so, we often make things worse. Help us to love with the love that has been transformed through relationship with Jesus Christ. So that it is not our love, but it's your love at work in and through us. A self-sufficiency.